Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe. Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome Welcome to to the C4SO Podcast. Podcast. Hey, Mickey. Hey, Bishop Todd. How's it going? Good. This has been a, a fun series. We're about... Man, we're getting near the end of it, but this has been really enlightening. Yes, yes. I love things like this. So useful, so helpful, yeah, and especially as we're going through the season together. Yeah, it's good. well, that's because you're a practitioner, though. You're you're out there well, doing it. Well, listen, I get to learn from every single one of these episodes and and put it in practice as yeah. we go. So that that's a huge advantage. For so sure. today <laughs> we have uh, today we have Gare Jones, who's the uh, founding pastor of the Vintage Network of Churches in Los Angeles. And he comes from a little different part of our family, you might say, more the mm-hmm. low church part of our family. You, you and Travis might be a little more mid-church or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give everybody a, a highlight. What, what should they look forward to in this? Honestly, his accent. I mean, yeah. he's British, so yeah. that's pretty cool. And I will confess something on air. Uh, as a kid, I used to pretend that I had a British accent because I thought it was very cool. <laughs> I wanted to be British so bad. Yeah. I don't know why. I just What is that? I, I know. I just thought it was so cool. So I would pretend. It didn't last very long. But uh, aside from Gare's awesome accent, uh, we just get to hear about what ministry has looked like for him, how God has led him to serve uh, his people well, and what that means for him as a pastor, what it means for him presenting things like liturgy, present, presenting the season of Lent yeah. to his congregation. So he uh, just really beautifully talks about how to translate yeah. things to his context and and just how useful it is for us yeah. wherever we find ourselves on the Anglican spectrum. I think most people know that C4SO has the whole spectrum from yes. uh, very low church, sort of English evangelical, charismatic style churches to uh, more high high church, kind of Anglo-Catholic right. kind of churches. And and I've said from the beginning of, of C4SO that we engineer churches from the mission field back, not from the tradition out. Yes. And that we're trying to do the work of intelligent, spirit-led contextualization and uh, translation that Garrett talks about today. So I hope that, like you said, no matter where anybody is on the spectrum of Anglican ecclesiology, hopefully they can learn how to translate that into their culture as well. All right, here's Garrett Jones. Hey, Gare Jones, you're the one of the few people in my life I can call mate because you call me mate. <laughs> <laughs> I do. You are a true mate. I don't know if mateship is part of the kingdom of God, but I think, it's, yes. I think it should be. I think yeah. it should be. Instead That's of bro, awesome. instead of hey, yeah, bro. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, mate. exactly. Well, it's good to see you, mate. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Real honor. Real honor. I'm not too sure how helpful this will be, but... Uh, very much a privilege. <laughs> oh, no, no. We're, we're counting on yeah, you. No. So, so in case people can't hear the subtleties of your British accent, let's, let's just play a little bit. So tell me, what's your favorite part of being British? I've never asked you this. <laughs> it's wow. not broad at all. <laughs> yeah. What do, what do you love about what's being your favorite British? Thing? I think being emotionally suppressed is one of them. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> it means I, I ignore oh all gosh. drama. No, I think mm. I, what I miss the most, what I do, here's my routine. Whenever I go back to England, I have a routine. I get fish and chips. I go to the pub. I yeah. go, for, go to the pub, walk in the countryside with my sister's Labradors, and and then drink a nice hot cup of tea. So those are the four things That's such I a have British to thing do to every do. time I go. That sounds quintessentially British. Yeah, that's exactly what I think of when I think of British culture. So totally. That's awesome. Still, It's still alive, so it's still very real. 
I love right, it. So, so we all know issues at the intersection of American and English culture. Like, I'm sure you've heard the story of when I was doing a vineyard conference with Wimber back in the day. I used the word fanny in public. <gasps> had, had no idea what I was saying. <laughs> And every the crowd, this big crowd of like fifteen hundred, two thousand people, got totally quiet. And little old ladies at the break came up to me, handing me notes, telling me what I just said. Oh no! So so now I now we want to hear what's your most embarrassing moment at the intersection of English and American culture? It's actually when I was younger, because I lived in America for a few years growing up, and yeah. I remember that we used to talk about on Sundays that one of our family traditions is to go home after church on sunday and we just love having our sunday joint and <laughs> that's fantastic for weeks people oh, like going around you like share the joint <laughs> <laughs> and obviously for those who don't know it was kind of a lamb roast it was like it's actually a, it's actually nothing to do with what you think it is mm. but it's more of a it's a roast it's a roast lamb dinner see that's good to know that's good to know <laughs> i had no idea so that, 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 joint, now like, in california what? obviously thankfully i know the difference otherwise i'd be in mm. yes is that how that's how you got your reputation for being progressive was your Sunday <laughs> <Yeah>. joint <laughs> exactly oh my gosh exactly so, Garrett, Todd tells me that your wife is Australian. That's and right. And your kids are basically American because they've grown up here. So yeah. is there anything, like, weird about, like, these cultures clashing? Do you have anything, like, any funny stories about, you know, family dynamics? Well, I think it is strange because my wife's Australian. I'm English. My eldest daughter was born in Switzerland, middle <laughs> daughter London, and my third son born in Raleigh, North Carolina. And yeah. so okay. it is quite eclectic. We have a number of passports. But what's interesting is when people come to our home, I've had a few people think that our kids are we like we adopted them late in life because oh. I've got this broad English accent. My wife has got this very strong Australian accent. Mm. And all my kids have got these very strong American accents. And when we first came uh. to California, we were in Raleigh for three years, four years, moved to California. And then even then, it was English Australian and very southern accents from my girl. Right, right. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. So I would very say, distinct. hey, Sam, who's my third child. And then my daughters would go, hey, Sam, like this really <laughs> strong southern wow. accent. So I think we generally oh, confuse great. people. But um, my son does joke that we're all American now with citizenship, but he's the only one of us who can become president because he was born. Uh, so, yes, yeah, yes. So we'll see. We'll see. He's hold, yeah. We're not, yeah, we're not holding our breath, but we'll see. Yes. That's so <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah. We have that joke in my family too. My brother was born here um, in the States. My family and I are from Argentina. I was telling you, Gare. And he's the only one in our family who could be president someday. So we always <laughs> totally. say that. It's a race. <laughs> it's a race. We'll see what happens. Yes. So Gary, yeah. let's help our audience uh, get to know your ministry <clears throat> track a bit. Um, how did you end up in the States? And tell everybody just a bit of your ministry journey, your ministry career. Yeah, very, very uh, short helicopter ride. So I grew up in a very vineyard style movement in England. It wasn't mm -hmm. a vineyard, but very house church movement. Left the church for a season, fell out of church, fell out of love with church, and significantly didn't like pastors for a while. Mm. And then got dragged along to a church in London. I was a lawyer in London, got dragged along to a church really to, to promise to meet some hot girls. And so mm. I went along to a church and that happened to be Holy Trinity Brompton. So an wow. Anglican church that I just thought, frankly, would be dead and progressive and yeah. wouldn't preach the gospel. Even though I wasn't a church girl at the time, I just thought, well, that's the last place I'd go. Mm. 
but fell in love with the grace and missional heart of that community. Fell in love with humble orthodoxy, a kind of a naturally supernatural, a kind mm-hmm. of a historically trained pastoral theology. It just I fell in love with all the stuff that lots of people fall in love with. Mm-hmm. And but was still a lawyer. Worked for many more years and ended up praying about becoming full time in ministry, basically out of compulsion to pray because I was doing so much in church and Alpha together with my career and a young family that my wife really was one of the key ones who said, you got to decide where you're going to put your time either in your career or in church because you're doing kind of two jobs. So after a long, long story, we felt God said, lay down my career, go to ministry. We not being a cradle Anglican. I didn't know where to go to seminary. And so some mentors in England said, well, why don't you go to Regent College, Vancouver? Because Mm. there's an interdenominational Orthodox college, which does also translate back into the ordination track in London, in England, if you want to go into the Church of England. I didn't know where I was going to end up. I thought maybe the Vineyard. I thought maybe the Mm. Church of England. I then felt God say, he's placed me in a relationship with HDB, placed me in that tradition I was being tutored by J.I. Packer at the time, mm-hmm. which was uh, deeply, profoundly helpful and a blessing. So I said, I'll get ordained. And so I was going to go back to HCB, went through, all, went through the ordination track there. But then a, an old theologian who's no longer with us with the Lord called Michael Green, Dr. Michael Green, yes. he called mm-hmm. me and said, hey, if you're in America or North America, why don't you do your curacy with me with revitalizing a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and you can come help me. Uh, okay. okay. We felt the Lord say yes. And bizarrely, we didn't even know where Raleigh was. We got the map out and <laughs> we hadn't really thought of ever moving to America, but we did. And we were there for four years. And that's when I connected with Utah. We thought we'd go back to England. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we didn't think Raleigh was the end destination, but we loved the church and loved the people, phenomenal people. And we saw God do amazing things, but we didn't feel that was the end destination for us. And so that's when we connected with you going, Todd, yeah. do you, what do you think we should do? And as ever, Todd always has a plan for someone's life. And yes. So- I said, I said, I said, Gare, there's plenty of joints in LA, dude. <laughs> that's what got him. <laughs> totally. So we did feel the Lord say, stay in America, which is very surprising. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And in discerning, I remember Todd helpfully saying, well, do you feel called to a geography? Do you feel called to a people group? Do you feel called to a demographic? What do you feel called to? And I said that to my wife and said, look, we didn't really know. I said, is there anywhere that you wouldn't go? To which she immediately said, yeah, I think I'll go anywhere except Los Angeles. <laughs> and the next day, Todd called mm-hmm. me up with an opportunity in LA and that's how it that was goes. it. We flew out. We felt God <laughs> say yes. And the nevers turned into God's calling. So which That's is right. Yeah. And the rest now is history. We have this beautiful network of vintage churches yes. all across LA. And I mean, thank God, obviously, and thank the work of the spirit, but also obviously huge thanks to you and Lizzie. So just one yes. more thing um, before we get into the Lent stuff, Gare, uh, for your background. You're a smart guy and you've been tuned into church your whole life because your dad and other things. How did you flow towards a more low church expression of Anglicanism? And what is the beauty and pastoral and missional upside you see in that? Well, first and foremost, I'm a missional guy like you guys, like you, Todd. And I grew up with really no friends 
who were Christians except for the small youth group I was in. But all of my friends were non-Christians. Yeah. Very atheistic culture in the north of England. And my heart broke for my friends who were not Christians. I wanted them to come to know Jesus. And so that missional impulse was the driving force of my own life. Went to college, went to law school. I was the evangelism director of the kind of campus crusade version of England. Mm -hmm. And when I was in the law firm, I was pretty much doing personal evangelism and wanted a church that my friends who were non-Christians would connect with, would find, Mm -hmm. would actually join with me in my personal evangelism to help someone grow towards Jesus. Yeah. And what I found was, in my context, a heavy, high liturgical church rarely did that hmm. because my friends found it just didn't connect with them, just found it a bit formal. England at the time was rebelling against formality. You kind of grew up hmm. in these kind of very yeah. ha- Harry Potter type schools where it was so formal, it was dead and dry and boring. And so all, none of my friends would go to a liturgical church. So going to I, I wouldn't connect with that place. I wanted somewhere where my friends would find it informal and everyday and normal and relate to them. But at the same time, I was nervous for a church that wasn't also deeply humble, that we would welcome those who didn't know uh, Jesus clearly, but also were kind of messed up, would find a, a hospitality that was gracious, would find an orthodoxy, but it was humble and, and generous. That would allow people to belong before they believed. And also pastoral theology that the pastors would hold themselves with such deep grace and integrity and a deep sense of love and humility. I hadn't really seen a lot of that growing up. Hmm. The evangelism growing up had been more, I would say, target evangelism. Just, you know, firing a a verse at someone, regardless of how it landed on people. And I found pastors to be a bit preachy, a bit pushy trying mm-hmm. to show their stripes of how orthodox they are, regardless of how it came across to non-Christians. So long story short, I went to HDB and I discovered this, this integration of hospitality to the lost and empathy for the broken in society, a deep commitment to humble orthodoxy and a deep commitment to things of the spirit in a natural way that would help a non-Christian experience Jesus without feeling that they're being pushed over or being kind of weird about it. So it's just this huge cocktail with all these beautiful kingdom ingredients that seem to go well together that hadn't gone well together in other contexts. I'd only seen Mm. churches pick a few of those ingredients. And Mm. there was something about, I discovered there was something about the Anglican wineskin that allowed the best and holistic nature of biblical Christianity to coexist together. That we didn't have to go in just for the spirit or just in for the Bible or just into spiritual practices or just into justice. We could actually hold them all together because, you know, as a this via media approach historically, together with what J.I. Packer says is the essence of Anglicanism is if you can show me it's in the Bible, we'll do it. That we are just biblical Christianity and we're broad in the best sense of the word of that. Yeah. And so I'd never seen that before, Todd. I just yeah. thought we always had to camp around certain issues. Mm-hmm. But to see it all come together holistically and generously was really attractive to me. And I then realized the wineskin of the Anglican church is something beautiful because it allows these things to coexist. 
Yeah. So this isn't really the, yeah. the point for today. I know Mickey's biting at the, at the microphone to ask you about Lent. But <laughs> I know you well enough to know, I, first of all, I know the period of England that you're describing that was reacting against formalism. But I think I know you well enough to know that if today Americans were reacting against radical informalism and you knew of a church in your orbit that was winning people to doing everything you just said, but doing it a little more high church, you'd be completely in favor of that because to you, those externals are not the point, right? Totally not the point. I mean, we want to see yeah. people come to Jesus faithfully and mm -hmm. the gospel is incarnated in lots of different ways, as long as yeah. we remain pure to the gospel. I mean, what we're finding in LA is I would be probably very, uh, have to be transparent here and say, we are seeing a reaction against the, I would say, the informality of certain backgrounds, yeah. but not a reaction towards, well, therefore, let's go deep in my yeah. church. Right. Mm -hmm. What they're more looking for is depth of formational practices, which yeah. may be a good segue to Lent. Yeah. Yes. That was brilliantly that was done, Gare. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we should Todd, I think we need another co-host. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. No, that that's so good. And I will say to Gare that that is what my husband and I have found in Anglicanism is that beautiful picture of what all these things work together toward, which is to disciple people into the image of Christ. And so you don't have to pick and choose different elements of this tradition, but rather they they exist in harmony. And I think that it's a really good tool for spiritual formation, but also just for people to come to know Christ, for people to come to church who wouldn't otherwise go to church. I mean, the reason we plant churches is so that our friends will yeah. become Christians. It's yeah. plain Amen. and simple, right? So I, I've totally found that. Hello, Eric Vincent here. C4SO's Director of Administration, inviting all C4SO clergy, staff, spouses, and children to this year's Clergy Conference at Christ Church Overland Park, May 3rd through 5th. There will be food, fellowship, and fun. What's not to love? In our sessions, we'll be exploring the theme, Confident Ministry, Faithfully Navigating Our Times, targeting three specific areas of our current cultural landscape, marginalization of the church, gender identity and transgender experiences, and political disunity. Our keynote speaker, Bishop Todd Hunter, alongside psychologist Mark Yarhouse, will specifically address pastoral implications and practical takeaways. Register now at c4so.org to take advantage of early bird pricing. If you register after February 28th, the price increases to $329 per adult. So don't wait. Register today, and we hope to see you in May. Given your experience in Anglicanism and uh, just all the different expressions of faith that you've kind of witnessed over the years, what has Lent meant to you personally? So we'd just love to hear a little bit about what Lent just means to you. Well, it's been quite a journey, to be honest, because at first I grew up despising Lent. I thought it was mm. the worst time of the year because mm. it was about giving up stuff I liked for no good yeah. reason. It's yeah. no fun. <laughs> yeah. And I thought pragmatically it was terrible. I actually thought theologically it was terrible. Didn't Jesus win the victory so we don't have to do stuff like this? You know? <laughs> yeah. Why are we living pre-cross? You know, or very bad theology, yeah. to be honest. I think what we've discovered here in our church, we've discovered that most people in our church come from, I would say, an evangelical background or a charismatic background, which we value great humble orthodoxy and belief and doctrine as the foundation of our life. 
together with the ready expectancy of encounter with the presence of God. Mm -hmm. But what the deficiency there, and there is a deficiency there, is transformation rarely comes through believing the right things. And transformation rarely comes through a download from the Holy Spirit. Miracles do. But not transformation. Transformation comes through the long obedience of formation through the practices of Jesus. And that's been a weak muscle in the evangelical charismatic tradition and the low tradition. And so our people are recognizing that parts of their life are not touched by the renewal power of the Holy Spirit, no matter how many Bible studies they do, and no matter how mm. many encounter Shabbat-Abdu nights they go to, they're still feeling, I, can't, I still have this issue in my life. Yeah. And why doesn't God just zap me? And I think the answer mm-hmm. is because his ways are rarely about zapping you in those areas. His ways are about cultivating growth through following the practices of Jesus. And therefore, how do we introduce you to some of the ancient practices of Jesus that cooperate with the Holy Spirit in freeing you of these issues in your inner life and cultivating the fruit of the Spirit? Well, Lent is one of the really profound on-ramps to one of those practices, to that beginning of that journey. And you know, we frame it like, hey, you know, you've just done dry, dry January, right? You've just done oh, dry right. January, where you realize there are seasons where you give up something in order to purge, in order to bring health, in order mm. to free yourself from maybe an addictive tendency. That's what dry January is all about. Well, if that's the case physically, how much more spiritually? And yeah. this is right. Jesus models that for a season. And so I think... As long as you frame it in a way that people go, oh, that makes sense. And then model it in a way that they say, oh, I can do that. Then what we're finding is people do engage in this journey, which is allowing the Holy Spirit to renew their lives in ways that Bible studies and prayer ministry time after the service don't do. Yeah. And I'm in generalities. You know what I mean? It's always like, you know, there's always the outlier. And so I think Lent for me is one of those beautiful ways to help on-ramp people into a lifestyle of following the practices, the formational practices of Jesus. Mm, That's awesome. So on the flip side, what have you seen Lent do for your congregation? So not just you personally, but how have you seen Lent um, be meaningful for your church congregation? And you mentioned this a little bit before too, in kind of the contextualization of your church, that it's a little more low church. What have you seen Lent do for your people in this context? What has it meant for them? Yes, Mickey, I think ultimately it has broader, it's opened them up to a whole new world of spiritual life with Jesus that they didn't mm-hmm. know, they didn't know before. And they are surprised by it. They kind of, this is new. This is novel. Ooh, what's all this ashes stuff? What's all this Lenten (laughs) devotional stuff? But what they're doing is it's a whole church. I would say most of them are entering into a new area of their spiritual life with Jesus that's been untapped before that they've only had glimpses of. I see it like Disneyland, right? You go to Disneyland in California and you've got these different worlds within it. Mm. And you've got mm-hmm. like the charismatic world and the big dippers, like big experiences. You've got the mm. evangelical world, which all of great. And, but then you've also, I just, they, they, they never went to that side of the park where yeah. spiritual formation, <laughs> the practices were happening. Mm. I think Lent is the doorway to that for our church. Mm. 
Yeah. yeah. And they're going, this is amazing. They've had glimpses of it by doing maybe they've hear, heard about a silent retreat or uh, something like that. But Lent has opened them up to this is a missing piece of my life with Jesus. And it's reaping results then for the rest of the year. Oh, what a great place to be in. I think when you're discovering these spiritual practices and you're discovering the Christian year and what what good tools we find within it, I think that's such a special place to be. Because you're right, it is kind of like going to Disney, Disneyland for the first time. You're like, whoa, what is this? What have I been missing my whole life? So Right, right. And so I good. think ultimately what's interesting is there's a – there's a runway for this easily into the culture here because these types of practices have been co-opted by new age spirituality in Los Angeles right. for, for decades. Sure. Yeah. You know, kind of mantras and silence and wellness yoga retreats. Right. Mindfulness. Uh, mindfulness. Mind, I mean, it's all yeah. there. Yeah, right? I was going to yeah. say that. And in many ways, part of the challenge of coming to Jesus is people genuinely go, these practices are helpful. Are they are helping me? But if I come to Jesus, I got to stop them and just read the Bible. Hmm. And it's the just word is the problem there. Right. Right. Because actually, no, I think we can re regather these practices back to what they were originally designed for and go, yes, the silence is good. You know, meditation is good when it's on Jesus. And mm -hmm. we can fasting is good. I mean, these are all practices that are done by the secular context here in LA. But yeah. so there's a landing strip. There's like a runway for them. It's like, yes, but when they're folk, they were meant to be focused on Christ. And yeah. so people go, okay, that makes sense. I find the biggest thing is give people plausibility of mm. something. And then yeah. they go, okay, I'll try it. Yeah. And then yeah. we people, they find a life in it. So to do mm. that plausibility, Gare, and knowing you, you've done the hard work of contextualization of translating what could be seen as just the part of a church year, like what's a church year and what's a season of a church, you know, like, right. um, it would just seem like nothing. And, and I think knowing you, a, a big part of what you do is, you know, that the prayer book didn't arise out of the blue. It arose within a specific context and, and Anglicans, as you know, are proud of being people of the book and people of the prayer book. Yeah. Well, so a Lent rises within the prayer book as a practice, but it doesn't just drop into L.A. It, it has to be translated right. into L.A., and you've, you've done that work to help people, like you said, see the plausibility of the goodness of Lent. But you didn't do it uh, out of some fidelity to some decontextualized ideal. You did it. Uh, in fidelity to spiritual growth with the people you're working with, right? Something right. like that. I mean, I'm yeah. just trying to picture you and your staff sitting around thinking about how you're going to execute Lent at Vintage. I mean, right. you know, most people who listen to this are pastors, so help them see how how did you guys think about translating this? Well, we recognized in our culture, people crave a rhythm. They crave mm. a pathway to well-being, a pathway mm. to enlightenment, a pathway to some kind of nirvana. They, everyone's looking for a roadmap to something. Mm. And we recognize that within that roadmap, our culture is obsessed with, okay, season of this, then a season of this, and then drink this, juice that, you know, crush that, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. And yeah. we recognize that people are seeing that living day by day without any rhythm and without any pathway 
generally isn't how humanity is wired. And so we did. We just contextualized it in the sense of we know physically we are made, we are people of a rhythm, of seasonality. You know, even the biology of our world is is aimed and to thrive within seasons. Yeah. Right. Same thing physically. Same thing with your relationships. With with your marriage, you need date nights. So I think we just the plausibility structure of everything needs seasons and there's a pathway. Mm. And then the historic church recognizes the same thing spiritually. So we have this roadmap of the historic church that has been tried and tested for nearly 2,000 years of if you, if you organize your spiritual life, and we do it loosely, but if you organize it in seasons, then what you find is you have a, a healthier, holistic spiritual life because you're emphasizing different things at different times. And particularly for the charismatics, I've had to say, have you noticed that always trying to live in a season of revival ends up being mm. exhaust being ends yeah. up being exhausting? Yeah. Right. And to our conservative evangelicals, always living in a season of Lent is exhausting. Mm. There's such a thing called Easter tide where yeah. yeah. N. T. Wright says we should have champagne for breakfast, you know, every yeah. day because mm-hmm. it's, it's a feasting Easter season. Mm. So yeah. I think people have missed out on those different seasons yeah. to which we invite people into. And it's it, first of all, it's it's deeply refreshing for people and a relief because I can emphasize different things at different times. Mm. And it matches the rest of their lifestyle, whether it be economically whether it be biologically, whether it be relationally, that this is how life works. It works in seasonality. Yeah, we have a liturgy for everything, whether we recognize it or not. So I think so many people that I know in my own life are looking for this sort of spirituality and they're looking for it in other places. And I'm just like, be a Christian. We have all like everything that you are looking for, you will find it in church history. Mm-hmm. You are going to find it in the Anglican tradition, the mysticism, Eucharist. Hello. Like y- there, there's so many things to our faith that is so rich that I do think people are searching for it, but they don't quite realize that everything that they are looking for, they can and will find in the church. So I think that's so yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. I, I wouldn't be gay if I didn't also say they don't want it in a formal wineskin in, in mm-hmm. my community. Yeah. If we put that seasonality in a formal wineskin, they won't accept it. Right. Because it just seems they're not looking for formality. They're looking for depth. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is you know, we have quite a lot of people coming on a Sunday and none of which, they're all looking for depth. They're all looking for a sense of seasonality, but they're not looking for historicity. You know, they're not looking for kind of an ancient form of spiritual practice. They're looking for, I want it to be very contemporary, but I want the values of depth and seasonality to be there. And Gareth, thanks so much for participating in our Lent series uh, to, to help people see how one can do Lent in a, uh, a more low church setting. So we've been asking every guest this final question, what are you going to do for Lent this year and why? What are, you, what are you hoping would be the outcomes for whatever you're choosing as your Lenten practice? So me personally? Yeah. I felt COVID pruned me something uh, beyond all reason. <laughs> so... Uh, I recognize coming out, it's interesting. I'm, I went, Lord, what is this season as I come out of even pruning in COVID? And 
my son and I are doing an intentional, the John Tyson primal path stuff mm. and okay. like intentional fathering intentional. And so I said, look over Lent, I'm going to, we're going to go on the journey from ease to difficulty, mm. learning together that life is not easy that actually we're going to we're actually going to prune back our expectation of shortcuts and ease and so i said to my son over lent a bit before lent i'm going to lose 30 pounds <laughs> bit before easter <laughs> and so i took up baking over covid which is probably the worst mistake i've ever done and <laughs> put on way too many pounds but i just said no i we're going i think this is going to be a season for me where i'm going to embrace that kind of embrace pain mm. just model to my son that the good things of life are difficult are, mm. are take hard work and then i'm accountable to that because i said i got to be a certain weight by easter although <laughs> and if not my credibility is shot as a yeah. dad forever. Yeah. <laughs> but i think we're modeling that and he's doing some practices as well of modeling that shift from adolescence to adulthood of embracing that kingdom of god is about joining with God, but working hard okay. and not taking shortcuts. Mm, Great. Thanks, Kier. So, Mickey, uh, uh, how have you heard this as somebody who is kind of middle church, you might say, you mm -hmm. know, along that spectrum? Give, give everybody one or two gleanings that you've picked up today. I think a lot of people in, you know, pastoral ministry or people who have planted churches are, are going to find themselves if they're not already in this sort of position of translating, mm -hmm. um, especially if there are folks at your church who are new to Anglicanism or are lifelong Anglicans and maybe your approach is a little different than something that they're used to. So I, I really resonated with what you were saying, Gare, about sitting in the middle and translating to uh, your congregation or just being able to know where God has rooted you and where, who are the people you are serving and how to best yeah. serve them and how to best use things like liturgy to disciple them. And so there are going to be parts, and this is what we do at our church. There are portions of the liturgy that we have to explain weekly because we always have new people. Um, and so we just taking the time to to honor the Lord and honor your people in this position of translating so that you can serve the folks that God has, has brought to your church is, is crucial. And, and I think a lot of folks will identify with that if they are in church planting and especially planting Anglican churches of anywhere on the spectrum. Yeah, great. All right, Gary Jones, thanks so much, man. Good to see you today. Thanks, Gary. Love you guys. Bless you. Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.